We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes. Man, Bernstein and Holmes, best show in radio. I love it, boys. Middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score. Just think among those who do it regularly is currently the Bulls' best three-point shooter. Right side, Vooch, back to Williams, right foot and three, good! Two-man game to perfection. Patrick Williams is shooting 40% as a three-point shooter. I thought he was great. You know, I, I think Patrick's eager to get better, and then to be aggressive offensively, that, you know, to me, with him is playing both ends of the floor, and we need him to play both ends, and he, he was active on both ends tonight. You say it here, it comes out there. It can be pretty satisfying when you urge a guy to take more of those three-point shots that the defense is giving him early in games that can open things up, and then he can take advantage with his own aggressive play, and by gum, he went out there and he did it. Bulls get the win. Here to talk about that is Cody Westerland, who is on Twitter at Cody Westerland. He is the sports editor at 670thescore.com. What other kinds of editors do we have, if not sports editors? Web editor, I think, would be uh, the appropriate title, I believe. He's and the basketball editor. He's more than that. And uh, Bulls beat writer. And he is with us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, and Twitch, twitch.tv slash Chicago, 670 The Score. What's happening, Cody? How are you? How are you guys today? Good. Doing pretty well. Why, why are the Bulls 6-1 and one against the combination now of Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Boston when they lose to so many bad teams? I mean, I think part of that's focus and concentration, right? Because this is a team that has a lot of talent. We saw this exact, basically, Bulls roster take care of bad teams and average teams last year and struggle against the best. And, I mean, I think it would probably be, in in some ways, maybe complacency coming off of last season by way of approach. I I don't really know any other answer. If you want to, like you know, boil it down to specific matchups. You see sometimes like the Rockets, it felt like, and the Bulls lost at home coming coming out of the Christmas break, lost to Houston at home. Like it felt like they ran around them a little bit and their speed and athleticism hurt the Bulls in some ways in that game. So, so sometimes there's matchup based, but when you look at it from a big picture approach, I mean, that's the thing I go back to is this team doesn't get locked in. Um, and that goes to focus and concentration and kind of how you comport yourself as a team and, and really as an organization in some ways. And it's certainly something that's frustrated Billy Donovan, frustrated the front office, how, how hot and cold they can be from night to night. It also just goes back to the theme we've seen all season. And really for the last two, if you contrast, yes, the quality of the teams that they beat last year, but the inconsistency is there. And 
I'm not sure if that was something that changed as far as a direction on the player's part, but it still doesn't speak to the fact that they're not doing something consistently across the board. That's the disconnect for me. Why are you able to now perform against these teams that you you couldn't perform against last year, and then that costs you performing against the bad teams that you did perform against the year before? Yeah, I mean, this is a question we ask all the players, and we ask Billy Donovan almost like, if not every day, every week, certainly. And they don't really have an understanding of, of why this has transpired, either beyond some things that at times I would call coach speak or player speak. Like, they're just as befuddled as everyone else. And I think maybe some of the things, when you're a team like the Bulls that, that relies um, so little on the three-point shot by, by way of volume when you don't shoot it, I think maybe you're a little bit more susceptible in some ways um, if you're hot and cold in other areas of the floor. Maybe some of that's coincidence that it's come against the poorer teams. And maybe the better teams don't take the Bulls as seriously anymore either. You know, like if you want to spin it from the other direction, the Bucks lost the first game of the series last year against the Bulls. Then it's like they took started taking them seriously. The rest of that series easily dispatched the Bulls in five games in the playoffs last year. Maybe these best teams don't view the Bulls the same way maybe they did um, previously. So um, it can be a little bit uh, of both ways. But this is a team that when you're looking at 17 and 21, if you want to climb over 500, if you want to make a, a wild push for a top six playoff seed, which the Bulls in no way, shape, or form whatsoever this year are on track for like they did last year when they got the sixth seed. Um, they're going to have to beat bad teams consistently, average teams consistently, haven't done it yet, and that's why they're right there on the verge and the fringe of, of the play-in spot around the 10 range. You know what's kind of weird? The Bulls, if one had to guess, where do you think they rank in three-point percentage in the NBA? I'd say top 10. They're 10th. Yeah. Okay. They're they're 10th. Where do you think they rank in average three-pointers attempted? Dead last, I would assume, Exactly. Right? Yeah. So that's what's missing there? What's not adding up? If you're if you're pretty good at shooting them, shoot more of them. Yeah, so I I've been thinking about this and discussed it with a few people, right? When you don't have a ton of high volume three point shooters, it's hard to tell everyone to take more, right? Like Patrick Williams doesn't need to take more three pointers than the ones he gets open that are catch and shoot. So I think in situations like that, he's been their best three point shooter for almost all of this season. Maybe Billy Donovan puts him in more spots where he gets catch and shoot. But then what do we yell about? We yell about Patrick Williams is not getting involved in the offense. The Bulls need to run more things through him, get him going to the hoop, cut and stuff like that. Zach Levine, he's the other guy that would take more high-volume three-point shots. Instead of taking like seven in a game, you want Zach to take 11 or 12. What do we yell at Zach Levine about all the time? It's shot selection. Why did he take that pull-up jumper? He forced that. We do it. I do it. Stacey King does it on the broadcast. You can see his teammates probably in the back of their heads if you really ask them or roll in their eyes some of these long jump shots that he takes. But like the only way to really elevate yourself from a three-point um, volume um, percentage here, not percentage, but just more that you take 
of your shots is to have the guys good at it do more, but we yell at them when they're not doing, or when they do do that and it comes off as being forced. So it's a hard situation without turning over the roster personnel from a bigger picture. I think it's going to be nearly impossible to ever do that with DeMar DeRozan on the roster too, just because he's not a three-point shooter and you're going to initiate so much stuff through him. So that's like the catch-22, and that is the dilemma for Billy Donovan so often here. It's like he wants them to shoot more, but there is diminishing returns, I think, if they tried to force doing that. I, you see that in the point totals to me when we see how many times DeMar has scored over 40 points and how that's not necessarily led to a W. You know, so that I think says a lot about how we're seeing it play out in the box score. Just think about last night when you see three different starters score over 20 and how that seems to be almost a guarantee of a win for this team. Yeah, I mean, I thought last night was one of their their best performances of the season just as far as balanced scoring, um, taking care of business in the sense that when the Nets did push and make a run, uh, a couple times in the fourth quarter they got to three and four, the Bulls pushed back, kind of took control, get that 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 point lead back, and then finish without um, any drama really there. I mean, the Nets had a couple looks to cut it to, to four points or so. Um, but the Bulls... That's what they want to see, right? Like, it's okay in Billy Donovan's mind if Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan don't score 30 points a game. He would prefer that it's more balanced. It was. Patrick Williams had a really good game there. Had a really good start in that game, too. Um, I mean, 22 points for Pat Williams. I'm looking at the box score again on only eight shots. Like, that's a really, really good job by him to make the most of all his opportunities. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to happen every single night. But it was great to see you saw him get baseline for a couple dunks kind of out of the dunker spot with well-timed cuts, just understanding the feel and the flow. Like, that's what they want to see more of, whether it's Pat Williams, whether it's Io, any of these other role players, whether they're young or old. It feels like sometimes when it's too much DeMar, 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 or Zach, 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 like it's just screen roll, Zach's going to do something, drive and kick, or DeMar operating from that elbow and high post. Like, they're willing passers, but sometimes it feels like they stand around a little bit too much. Better to see more movement last night, I thought. It felt to me, like, pretty simply, they won this at the line and they won it on the glass. When everything we've been saying about the opponent's offensive rebounds and their struggles there, the Nets only had five offensive rebounds. And the Bulls had 40 defensive rebounds. That that is a concentration. That is a team effort. That is the coaches telling them what to do and them doing it. Yeah, it's also a factor of the Nets being tall and skinny, right? Like Nick Claxton, that is lineup, a, yeah, when they a wonderful them. defensive center, but he's not a large body, you know. And and kind of same goes for for on a night where you got um, Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant in the starting lineup. Like the Nets are long but they are not forceful with their, their strength. They, they have talent. They have um, great shooting ability. And, and they've really come on strong lately because they have um, fixed their defense and, and had a real attentiveness to that end. I didn't think the Nets had that at all in the first half, though, right? Like, it felt right away in the third quarter. If the Nets had played the entire game like they did in the third quarter and much of the fourth quarter there, I think they probably would have won. But, I mean, the Bulls just dominated the Nets on the offensive end um, in the first quarter and got going in the first half. Well, I, also, um, the, the fact that Royce O'Neal had the, oh, the, wor- the, the worst game he's going to have all year. And early, oh. like he, I think he missed three or four 
threes in the first quarter because the Bulls are rotating off of him. Royce O'Neal yep. finished 0 of 9, including 0 of 8 from three-point range. That to go with Kyrie Irving's 1 of 8 from he, three. He had three wide-open yes. threes in the fourth quarter. And I thought that was interesting, too. And there was a moment post-game. I don't know if you guys heard all of the sound. And the Patrick Williams interview kind of turned. Like, it went off the rails because DeMar and Zach... Um, we're kind of yelling from the side of, of the interview scrum by the end of it and, and joking and cracking at, at P. Will. Um, but Darnell Mayberry of The Athletic, great reporter, asked Pat, like, he's like, hey, you made like, did it seem like you made Kevin Durant work for his 44 points? And Zach started laughing and making fun of Darnell for being like, you're asking a question, a guy goes for 44 and you're acting like we played great defense on him. And, and Pat chuckled kind of a little bit too and was like, hey, you know, like we did feel like we made Kevin Durant work. And then, like, Darnell pointed out, like, it, it was, like, decent defense by the Bulls on Kevin Durant when you compare it to what they did on Donovan Mitchell. Like, the old 71-44, to 44, huge improvement from the Bulls in that regard. Slow him down. But, like, the Bulls sent so many doubles at Kevin Durant in the second half, almost every possession, it felt like. And what the Bulls didn't do in the loss to the Cavs was they did not make um, – you know, Lamar Stevens beat them, right? Like, even though they were running people at Donovan Mitchell, he was still getting his shots. The Bulls made Royce O'Neal try to beat him last night. Did not happen, so that was a better outcome for the Bulls. They certainly adjusted game to game, and even within the game last night, which was good to see. And, you know, Kevin Durant was just, I mean, he's spectacular. He's even better in person than, than on TV because you see, like, these angles and these spots on the floor that he's at and you're like he's got no chance to make this and he's so long and so talented that he gets an angle in a spot that others cannot and then he's so so good at finishing whether it's a jump shot um or at the hoop and and you saw that a number of times I was just like wow that wasn't bad defense by the Bulls it was just spectacular KD offense well he's yeah I think the way to describe his game is brilliant when it comes to how he scores it does concern me, though, that you have two back-to-back nights and one's a win, one's a loss, where you have a 71-point score followed by a 44% point score, knowing that the Sixers are coming to town in the next game. What do you anticipate as far as what we could be seeing on Friday? Well, Joel Embiid, I believe, was out last night with a foot injury. Um, certainly, the, the 76ers have been cautious with him at times, so we'll have to see um, what that's like Friday night for him. But Joel Embiid's never lost to the Bulls in his in his career when he's played. So what do I expect? If if he plays, I expect the 76ers to beat the Bulls, and I expect Joel Embiid to probably score 40 points and completely dominate the game because that always happens. It's like one of the things in history you can count on more so than anything else. So um, this is a new era of the NBA, right? Like 71 is outlandish. No doubt it was a historic performance by Donovan Mitchell. I don't know that that the Bulls or even any team nowadays when a star MVP candidate um, like Kevin Durant, like Joel Embiid, um, some of these guys, if they put 40 up, like at times, like really 40s, the new 30. I'm just right going to say 40s, the new 30. I, I read an article yesterday yeah. about like what's every morning when we wake up and we scroll through Twitter and it's like Luca had 60 and 20 yep. and Giannis had 50 and 20. And, and basically someone is saying, what the hell is going on? And what we are seeing now is a – it's like the, the, the punctuated evolutionary equilibrium here to steal from, from Stephen Jay Gould that this is – the blossoming of 
offensive skill sets being prized. We're really seeing not just stars, but the offense is getting so good. It's almost like what we started to see five, six years ago with pitching velocity. Yeah. When people looked up in baseball and went, oh, my God, the pitchers are basically unhittable, and now all we can do is try to hit home runs because what are you going to do? And this is one of those things in the NBA right now where some of these individual offensive skill sets are so polished so quickly that it's even good defense can't stop it. It's fascinating from a team building standpoint too. Which way do you lean into, right? Like offense is going to great offense is going to beat great defense in the NBA. There's no doubt about that. It's kind of the inverse of of baseball and pitching in that regard where you can never have too much pitching in baseball in the NBA. You can really never, never have enough shooting. And that's what the bulls don't have enough of. So um, you don't have a chance though to hang with these guys like Kevin Durant, make life hard on them, especially if there's two co-stars on the other team or two really big matchup problems. You have no chance if you don't have guys that are two-way players. And we've gone back to this a thousand times. The Bulls don't have enough um, above average two-way players on both ends. They got guys that are a little more one-dimensional. So from a team building standpoint, it's go more on shooting. Got to get those guys that are more two-dimensional. Bulls haven't had enough. I mean, that's why they're a 500 team, below 500, obviously, this year. But just kind of an average team is what they feel like. They feel like they should be better, certainly, and have a record a few games better based on how calls have gone at the end of games recently and also on one occasion early in the season. So that's something they've got to overcome. I also think they've got to handle adversity better. I thought that was maybe the most interesting thing in some of Billy Dominant's postgame comments last night. He was praising Patrick Williams for his big 22-point night. But, like, every time you hear Billy talk about Patrick Williams, it's like philosophy 101 class from college, right? Like, he always goes back to the head, kind of. And he thought Patrick Williams basically missed a big three-point shot in overtime against the Cavaliers because he was still bummed out by missing that box out, felt like he let his teammates down. Billy has talked about this so many times. Like, the Bulls have to handle adversity better, and Patrick Williams is one of those players that needs to handle adversity better. Billy really only thinks, like, DeMar DeRozan, I think, on this team handles adversity really well, and everyone else could probably um, do a lot better job at that. In the Bulls, I thought against the Nets, when the Nets pushed a little bit more, they stayed more composed. But that's just, it's a huge thing for Patrick Williams because Billy indicated again, like he always goes back to kind of Patrick Williams' mental state of mind by way of how to not let mistakes linger, how to keep your confidence, how to be the best player you can be on Thursday if Wednesday didn't go well enough for you. So it's always like just a class in philosophy it feels like and and Patrick Williams played well last night and and took a little bit of step in that game what do you think the key was to them getting so many rebounds do you think it was more spacing do you think it was more than being aggressive and being in the right spots as far as like being around the rim Bulls are a good defensive rebounding team they really are I mean they've been top five almost all season in defensive rebounding percentage and then they've basically been a disaster in the last week or two So that problem rearing up, I think, just had more to do with a few bad matchups, other teams crashing the glass hard, and the Bulls just not responding well. Bulls were a little bit more attentive, got back to who they were. Like Defensive rebounding from the start of the season to now has not been a problem. It's been a very, very focused problem in the last couple weeks. So I don't think it was rocket science. I just don't think the Nets are that great of offensive rebounders. 
start with some of the guys they had out there for for long stretches and then the bulls did a better job last night and look patrick williams had seven rebounds that helps he's been a really bad rebounder for most of his career and he so shouldn't like, be he shouldn't be no, he, I, he we absolutely so, shouldn't be he, he should average double in his minutes what he had he averages four he should average eight mm-hmm. yeah he he has he has bad hands sometimes like the Gets his hands on the ball, and whether he just can't grasp it, I don't know why. And he always, like, throws one pass away or dribbles one ball off his foot per game or, like, fumbles the ball out of bounds. Like, his hands aren't as good as they should be, and that's probably one of the reasons his his rebounding hasn't been at the level the Bulls would have hoped. Cody Westerlin, thank you, as always, for joining us. Much appreciated. Yep. Take care. Appreciate Thank it. you, Cody. That's Cody Westerland, who is our web editor at 670thescore.com and our Bulls beat writer. When we return, sometimes you get simple truth told that really it shouldn't be that hard. And sometimes it comes from an unlikely place, perhaps. But when I was driving to work today, I and I listened and I and I said, Thank you. Like some someone sometimes you, you get you get out of town smart. Someone sees this for what it actually is and isn't afraid to say it. And we got a nice dose of of positive Bears reality that we'll bring to you next on The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score. This is a great day for the Bears organization, which has showed fans that it's smart enough to know it has to lose this game. I don't think doctors rule Justin Fields out. I think Brian Poles rule Justin Fields out. Like, hey, buddy, like, you can set the rushing record for a quarterback next year. We don't need you in this game here. The Bears should lose. And if the Texans are dumb enough to win, this is going to set up as one of the most important days for the Bears organization in a long time. And Lovey Smith's most important day for the Bears, Super Bowl 41, as the head coach of the Houston Texans against the Indianapolis Colts. It really isn't that difficult to figure out. That's Nick Costos, and he joins the Mully and Haw show every Thursday morning. And I really look forward to his segments. And I don't think you have to be a gambler to get a lot out of it. It's one thing that I've learned as as the as legalized sports gambling has proliferated that just as a fan, sometimes you that the gamblers don't have to screw around with all of the other sportsy nuances and can just get right to the nut of what's going on. And that's what he did right there. This could be one of the biggest days in Bears history. And, yeah. al- and already already the acknowledgement. We, we were making, just as we were making fun of Matt Eberflus, through his excuse-making yesterday, and we know what they're doing. They know they have to lose. They are going to lose. And the fact that they recognize it is great. 
and we could be done with all of this. There, this, there have been a couple of storylines throughout the year of people actively trying to not understand what's been going on, people actively, willfully trying to pretend that they don't realize the Bears were trying to be bad on purpose, and also going out of their way to criticize Justin Fields when he has the absolute worst possible offense around him. That's the piece of it that always does it for me. I get, I get the there are games you should win regardless of the NFL because the competition is that high and you also have players who are capable of winning. You have to have a few on a team even when you're rebuilding, starting over, resetting, whatever you want to call it. But it's the it's almost like we're we're cheating ourselves out of the offensive line makes that much of a difference to a quarterback at this point. Like we've seen it so much that there are people who want to to go to another place with that discussion. Yeah, at the moment, the worst line in football, and at the moment, the worst receivers in football. Like they're burning the themselves quarterback out. Does, quarterback can't complete enough passes. The passing game's bad. It must be the quarterback's fault. Okay. But Justin Fields behind the Philadelphia Eagles line and tell me what that looks like. With those receivers. And my biggest fear in all of this is always that somehow Fields is going to go somewhere else and be the exact person we thought he was going to be because somebody else gave him a better chance for the first than the first two years of his career. I think that Ryan Poles isn't going to fall into the same narrative traps as some other people. I just I worry just about don't. how it was constructed to begin with. Like, Were you out on it? Is that why you went defense first in the draft? I'm not complaining entirely about it, but we're you know we're still working through that rookie season with Gordon and Brisker. If you want to see, there are a lot of things. Is that, that is that why they, d- they decided to trade down and get all those those linemen in the late rounds of the draft that didn't work out okay? There's and a- then you committed to guys who we don't know how they're going to be moving forward, and that's still money against the cap and roster spots. I think multiple things can be true here, and I think when when you ask the question, did polls do enough? to help Fields' development as a passer. Did they create something that was enough that it wouldn't be a wasted year? I think they tried, and I think they may have come up short, and the answer is probably no, they didn't, but it's still part of the larger picture. It was still part of being bad on purpose. He didn't, I mean, he did have one injury that kept him out of a game. He may have a bunch of nagging injuries now that are enough to pretend that he's got enough to keep him out of this last game to make sure you lose the last game. But it doesn't change the the, the larger arrow. It doesn't change the fact that they've got a guy who's going to be in the MVP odds for next season. When we start next year, Justin Fields is going to be on the cover of magazines. He's going to be on the cover however many there are, of what of, of video games. He's going to be a sought-after potential star because of what happened this year. His with, jersey's bought and paid for. With everything on, everything on balance. They're going to get either the first or the second pick in the draft, and they've got a quarterback who's going to be a breakout star. Period. Paragraph. With everything else that's gone on. And to nitpick at the end of the year, well, this is uh, taking a stay. None of this matters, and we're going to forget all this crap. It's all noise. Most of this season, especially the last quarter of this season, is noise. And it's it's not signal. And the signal is identify a potential star quarterback, get yourself high draft position. 
You want to quibble about the, the Claypool thing and injuries and all that? Absolutely fair. Well, one doesn't preclude the other. It doesn't mean you can't. It doesn't mean you can't say, you know, I, I, I wish it would have worked out better to have him even more developed as a passer. Fair. But don't lose sight of the signal. I just can't believe I'm sitting here genuinely afraid that if they get the first overall pick that they will draft C.J. Stroud. Okay. I- <laughs> it's just a weird concept and feeling and it's antithetical to what you see with the quarterback on a current team. I don't, I, there's nothing that I've heard where I would expect that would be the case that they're going to draft CJ Stroud. Me either. But until someone's drafted, I am always going to think about that possibility. I think everybody would want you to think about that possibility. I think if I'm Ryan Poles, I want everybody guessing. I'm not going to say a word on it. I want, I want everybody to think I might just do that. I might. And then you know what? If you want him so bad, come make me an offer for him. I think the fact that you are not ruling that out means Ryan Poles is doing his job one way or another. If, you, if, that, if that still has to be in the back of your head and he's, he's keeping the market completely open to all possibilities, all that does is make the pick worth more. It's it's so tempting, I think, when you're the general manager and you didn't draft anybody except the last class, what you would do with the 1-1. I think what It's you, like holding the ring, you know? Yes. Yes, that that's why Nick Costo said that. It is. It's like holding the ring. They've got it. They did it. Bag they did it. Almost secured. They did it. They're going to have the one or the two. Unless Nathan Peterman throws for 350 yards and, and six touchdowns. And we know that's not going to happen because he's bad. And he knows he's bad. And that's fine. He, I, I, I don't see that upset. Ha- Although it would be very bears for that to happen. At that point, you, if, that's, if you think that might happen, then it's, it's Tim Boyle. Time. I could 100% see the Vikings trolling the Bears to somehow get the Bears to win the game. But the Vikings need it. For seeding. They do. And they won't know about another outcome. That's another thing that I found interesting from Costos talking about advantages to be had when algorithms and not people are deciding the in-game spreads, lines, money lines, etc. When you see a quarterback pulled, they're keeping an eye on all the games, and you may have a 30-second window to take advantage of a misplaced line if that's if that's what the pros are going to be doing that's what the, the sharps are going to be doing and increasingly there are recreational betters who are able to appreciate those things there there are market inefficiencies in week 18 or what it was in 19 what do they even call it now i was lose track of it but there are market inefficiencies because they don't use and i didn't know this i learned this today that they they are that people odds makers are not setting the in-game lines that is compelling. Yeah, I didn't know it. Especially when we talk so much about being ahead of, of certain lines and knowing when it's an emotionally moved money line as opposed to a, this is what we think is actually going to happen in the game or a season money line. So that's their whole job is to keep you ahead of the game. And I feel like Costos always does a good job with that. But because of that, he's also just watching and intaking sports with the rest of us and seeing it as a whole. The 773 texter asks, what do you think of what Hub Arkish said about Justin Fields? Well, 
when we had him on the afternoon show a couple days ago, he said that the Bears might draft a quarterback and then use Justin Fields as a gimmick guy with a package of plays. I disagree as strongly as possible, but I didn't I didn't want to fight it with Hub at the time. I'm happy he's back. Like, thank It was goodness. a beautiful day yesterday at Hallisoff. You missed it. He was welcomed back to the media contingent. And almost like a movie. Yeah, the the security uh, lieutenant for the Bears, who was the one who found Hub in the parking lot and began CPR on him, was waiting at the door for Hub, holding his his uh, pass, his his badge. And as Hub walked in, he said to him, "You dropped this." I mean, it was like, "Oh my God!" Oh, it was really brings a tear to your eye. It was really, it was kind of, it's kind of lovely yesterday. And George McCaskey was there to give him a hug, and Matt Eberflus was there. I mean, everybody, the the Bears, the the Bears were uh, were a very nice organization yesterday. And of course, great to see Hub. Hub, uh, love seeing you, man. I've been praying for you. Uh, I know a lot of people have, and uh, it's. Uh, Really good to see you. So appreciate it, man. Have appreciation. As far as as far as when it comes to Justin Fields, though, and the you still appreciate it, we can still be wrong about Justin Fields. I feel, but I feel like the impending draft that's going to happen, just to bring it full circle. Until the name is called, and even then, who knows what happens in a trade moments later. I feel like I'm going to be parsing through this possible scenario, not knowing how likely it really is. We have high noon coming up, and I don't know if we're going to have a self-gratifying walrus make make a return. No. You're going to be chasing that one, I think. I'm never topping that. But I do have a question of uh, which legendary cartoon character would you not want invading your home? Sometimes when people steal things, they try to hide them in really odd ways, and that's when the magic happens. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the palace alone. Yeah, right. When? High noon? On this Thursday, we talked a lot about the Bulls, about yet another strange night on which a mediocre team beats a really good team, and that seems to be what they do. Did we figure out what to call him? No, it was not Giant Killer or uh, someone suggested Upset Junkies. King Slayers King Slayer, that's the opposite of Bum Slayers, but there's nothing that really fits in quite the same way for this particular Bulls team. We heard Billy Donovan talk at length about how while their endgame situations are often designed with DeMar DeRozan at the, as the first option, that doesn't mean they would be uncomfortable with Zach Levine taking that shot. And Cody Westerland joined us to give his thoughts on the Bulls and also the fact that that Nick Costos, who is the sports wagering expert on the Mully and Haw show on Thursdays, told the truth about the Bears, saying that Sunday could be one of the biggest days in the history of the franchise. If they make sure that they lose that game as they should, maybe get a little bit of help from their former coach, Lovey Smith, and they could still end up with a number one overall pick. It's high noon. 
What if they win? Do we even get victory chicken on Monday? Hell I mean, no. I don't because I'm not Hell here. Hell no. We wear victory hair shirts and we do victory pennants and we, and we, 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 we what is the, we... You got to figure morti- out... We mortify our flesh is what we do. You, I don't know what that means, but you... You're Catholic, aren't you? You should know. It's yeah, vi- but when you say it like that... Opus Dei, the How Solis do you do that belt, with sports? We, it, we will have... Vic- instead of victory chicken, we have victory mortification of the flesh. Jeez. Because we have sinned. That's what we have on Monday. Also, I converted, you know. I didn't grow up with it all, so there's still some phraseologies I'm missing here. And, and what there. is the, there's also I believe it's 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 a Shia ritual on is it Eid when when there's a where they they flog themselves with with whips until so their backs bleed and their foreheads bleed. We're doing that, whatever that's called. We're doing all of it. It's going to be an ecumenical flesh mortification Monday. I know there's something done in mourning. Uh so this story grabbed me because. That's what we do here at High Noon. Chicken stuffed with gold bars found in a corrupt official's freezer. What's with people hiding stuff in chicken these days? (laughs) I'm not kidding. Like, didn't we have the guy who hit a gun in in a chicken, Uh a raw chicken, and tried to carry it on? Yes, that was the airport. (laughs) Could you imagine if that poor person had gotten stuck at the airport and somehow that operation had been successful? But a gold bar. The rotting smell of the chicken. But, like, as far as you pick it up, that's heavy. Well, here's the thing. It, It was, yes, heavy at the time, but then they were in a freezer. So this was actually in China, and if there is one place where I do not want to commit a crime against somebody, that is on my list of pla- of places you don't want to do that. And you've been. I have been. <laughs> 815, we got weights and chicken. We do. We got golden chicken. We got weights and fish. There we go. There we go. You're damn right we do. I see it right there. You uh, cut it open and cut that walleye open while I saw weights and fish. Right I think there. that's how the conversation went down. Officers also dug out stacks of debit and gift cards from his bamboo garden. <gasps> yeah, he was hiding all sorts of stuff in all sorts of places. I never promised you a bamboo garden. Sorry. Wait, Old I apologized there. many times at the beginning of this show. I will continue. <laughs> a new video released by Chinese, anti- Chinese anti-corruption agencies revealed a corrupt Chinese official's unusual method of hiding his ill-gotten gangs. So that's how it happened. He uh, he confessed a day after the investigation began because he knew he was caught. That didn't take long. Yeah, apparently it was on WeChat. So that's they uh, they showed officers like raiding his mansion. WeChat is a uh, how do I put it? It's like WhatsApp, but it's a combination more of WhatsApp media. and TikTok, right? There you go. They found bags after bags of frozen meat in his freezer, including chickens and ducks and fish. Stuffed with plastic-wrapped gold bars and jewelry. They also uncovered stacks of debit and gift cards from the bamboo trees in his garden. And he said, of course, that he was sorry because I, the punishment might be really, really bad. The punishment's probably bad. I don't know. More to it that reports say his wife was also corrupt and that while he was away, she accepted money on his behalf. Actually, even while he was hospitalized, and she exerted influence in his name because he was a governmental official. So when her brother's printing mail received public complaints for pollution, she pressed the relevant authorities to waive the environmental penalties. They were just bad guys. But yeah, I want to know that too, 773. How did they find out about these gold weights and chicken? Hmm? 
Hmm? That, that's that's some somebody on the inside. Drop dime. He was sentenced to seven years and six months in jail. And, and fined, death. Yeah, and fined 500,000 yuan for accepting these bribes. But clearly somebody must have known. Because how else does this come out like that? I have questions. It's sort of like the hiding government documents at your country club. But if there's... So somebody's like, hey, you know, I want to check that out. If there's one thing that you can learn from all of this, raw chicken is not how you hide stuff. That's just not doing the job. Here's freshly caught walleye. They'll get you. Freshly caught walleye sounds good. It is good. Now it's filled with lead weights. It was walleye fish? Yeah. Where the, where the weights were? Yeah, it was Lake Erie walleye. There's right there on the video. That's ruining a perfectly good walleye. I don't think so. If it hasn't been there, I don't think the lead is going to leach into the meat. It's probably still... It, I, I'd oh, it. lead? Oh, no. I'm not getting anywhere around that. A woman in Australia got quite the wild surprise after mixing up her golden retriever's fake Tasmanian devil plush toy with an actual real live Tasmanian devil. This was my runner-up. <laughs> On wow, we- when you play the audio just alone like that. On Wednesday evening, inside her home in, it's, I believe it's Hobart, Australia. It's Hobart, Indiana. I think it's Hobart, Australia. Tasmanian devil in Indiana? No, the island state of Tasmania. <laughs> Kirsten Lynch went to reach for what she thought was her puppy's trinket when it suddenly raced away. Oh, my God. I went to reach for it, and the devil shot underneath the couch, she told the Guardian. Oh, because it's a de- oh, devil actually works there, not as a euphemism, but as the actual name. The Tasmanian devil is the world's largest carnivorous marsupial. It can grow to around the size of a large house cat. Wait a second. It's got a pouch? Yes, it's a marsupial. I did not know that. Utterly shocked at her discovery, Lynch let out a scream that woke up her family who rushed to see what caused the uproar to get rid of the furry intruder. Lynch's husband carefully escorted the Tasmanian devil, who's known to fly into a rage when threatened by a predator, out of their home using a broom. Uh-oh. Meanwhile, Lynch and her children gathered atop the kitchen table with bated breath as he shooed out the creature. She said, we were concerned that if she or he was cornered and scared, they would bite someone. I got the fright of my life. But to be honest, I think the poor thing was more terrified of us. The Guardian also shared a clip taken by Lynch of the wild animal rustling around the home and scurrying underneath tables and chairs in their dining area. Did it sound like this? I will be disappointed if it didn't. Meanwhile, give it up for Mel Blanc. That can't be easy. You know, the <laughs> snorting and screaming and all that. When you're, He's doing all of the voices. The like, intake of the air plus the expelling of the that's air. Not, how much time is he going to need to be like, all right, now we got to record all Daffy's tracks and now we've got all the Yosemite Sam. He did all of the voices. And like, that's that's not easy there. On the old- I, that's going to be me until the NFL draft, I think. <laughs> As for how the devil wound up in their home, the pet owner said she believes the animal made its way into the house located beside undeveloped bushland by following their family's new puppy. 
named Gecko inside after the pet went outdoors for a bathroom break. The dog is named Gecko? The dog is named Gecko. That because adds of, a layer of confusion. Because it's Australia and maybe the do- dogs there can walk on walls. I don't know. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. So the devil likely got through the fence behind Gecko and walked in through the door that we leave open for her as she's still potty training. So they encroached on the Tasmanian devil's natural habitat as as one is known to do in building habitats but for people. The, remember, and then the devil's like, hey, this seems pretty nice. I'm going to go in this house. And fault does not lie with Tasmanian devil here. The fault I have is with Gecko. Go on. It's your If you already have a Tasmanian devil chew toy. Yes. And then an actual Tasmanian devil shows up. Get on with it, Gecko! Truth be known, sometimes dogs aren't always uh, notable when it comes to that sort of thing. Like, I will never forget when I fell asleep on the couch one day at the house and we had our, like, screen door open to the back to the backyard. So there's obviously non-screened area that was open. And my French bulldog, Betsy, Betsy Bulldog, was also napping on the ground. Right. She, she was snoring happily. And then we both wake up a little disoriented when the TV show ended that I fell asleep to. And I'm like, hmm, there's a snake toy next to Betsy. And then I was like, three, two. Wait, that's not a snake toy. What kind of snake? Just a tiny, like, garden snake. Okay. And then I tried to, I picked it up with my bare hands. Yeah. And I by the tail, then I was. Not by the tail, by, I, right behind the head. Well, I didn't know. So then I was like, I looked at my dog and I was like, Wow, you did nothing here. <laughs> right. Like, it's literally next to you, and you just didn't care. And then I'm like, let me pick it up by the tail. And then I wasn't prepared for how fast it moved. How and old then were I you? dropped it. 27? Oh, okay. I thought you were a little kid. No. I thought you were like six. No. Oh, okay. So, I. <laughs> Wait, you, uh, <laughs> how old tw- were you? 27. A 27 year old Texan doesn't know to not pick up a snake by the tail. I'm not going around touching snakes. But, but I would think that like you're born with some sort of snake sensibility or there's at least lore. Yeah, to stay where, away from them. Where, like where grandma one time went out there and grabbed a rattler by the neck and took that thing. and. No, everybody you know. knows if you touch a rattlesnake, you die. No, you don't. Oh, man. Don't a stick? No, 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 no. I've encountered quite a few rattlesnakes in California, actually. And you to stay away from all of them. I know you should stay away from them, but th- I mean, the idea, okay. But- so yeah, we're just chilling and the snake rolls up and I'm, I looked at my dog and I was like, wow, we did nothing here. And then we we got a pair of tongs and then I threw it out that way. Was but it yeah, okay? I don't know. I mean, ultimately, probably, or if not, I'm sorry, but things had to be done. So, yeah, I'm not surprised at all that Gecko the dog didn't know. Maybe Gecko the dog was like, oh, you're a funny-looking dog. Come hang out. Well, that'd be a pretty dumb dog. When you, when you, are, you already have a Tasmanian devil chew toy, and you're, you're an Australian dog. It'd be somewhere in their DNA to know that, like, this is invading the house, and it's my job as a dog to protect the owners of the house. These are the people that give me food. Not if the dog wasn't threatened. I guess. If the dog was like, well, you're funny-looking, but you're all right. Let's go. Is they playing cards? I mean... Peacefully okay. coexisting? Maybe. Good for them. <laughs> Poor Matt Bowen. We're making him late, and we're talking about crazy things. Well, we will talk to Matt Bowen about football next on The Score. T. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.